Good morning. Good morning. Can you guys hear me okay? All right, good, good. Well, good morning. My name is Andrew Martin, and um, I serve as the youth pastor at Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia, so not too far away. And uh, it's my privilege uh, to be here with you all to worship this morning. And as I was driving up here, uh, something kind of cool came, came to my mind, and that was, you know, I, I really don't know you all. Uh, and you don't know me for the most part. There's a few, and, and y'all's welcome has been extremely warm and kind. I even had someone ask, like, hey, can I help you like, get your mic? It looks like you're having trouble with your, with your neck there. And I was like, man, that is really nice of you. <laughs> uh, but here's the cool thing about the gospel, is that even though we've never met in person before, and I don't know many of your names, we actually have an incredible bond uh, in Jesus. Uh, and so I can come in here having never met you before, and you can see me having never met me, and yet... We can call one another brother or sister. We can call one another friend. Uh, and that is the good work that Jesus has done. So I'm, I'm very glad to be here. And uh, we're gonna learn more about our king. We're gonna bring, learn more about this one who brings us together uh, by studying uh, Matthew chapter 13. So I invite you, if you have your Bible, uh, please go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 13. We're gonna be in verse 44. And if you don't have a, a copy with you, that's okay. Uh, it's printed in your bulletin as well. <clears throat> and what we're gonna be doing this morning is we're gonna be looking at two parables found only in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, some of you may be asking, well, what, what's a parable? I've never heard of that before. And uh, what you need to know this morning is that a parable is what one, one teacher describes as a very powerful teaching tool. That's what a parable is, or at least part of it. So let's dig into this passage to see what Jesus would have us learn and believe through these parables this morning. Again, we're in Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 44. Please follow along as I read. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure, hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Friends, this is God's word. It is absolutely true and it is given to us because he loves us very much. Let's pray and thank him for that. Lord, we thank you uh, that you are a good God who loves us. Uh, thank you that you come and, and you meet us in the real nitty gritty of life. Lord, that you know that life is hard, you know that our, our perceptions can become skewed by the things around us and you don't leave us alone to grope about in the darkness and try and figure it out ourselves. You come and you meet us. And so Father, I pray that you would be with us. If there are those of us this morning who are just tired, I pray that you would give them a sense of rest as they rest in your word this morning. And I pray if there are those who, who aren't quite sure what they think of, of this Jesus who is proclaimed in this gospel, Lord, I pray that that you would give them ears uh, to hear, to at, least, to, at least give, to at least give you a hearing. Thank you that you're kind and you're patient. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, in 2010, a no-kidding treasure hunt broke out right here in the United States. You see, what had happened was there was a multimillionaire by the name of Forrest Finn from New Mexico and he had published his memoirs, and in his memoirs, he left a very cryptic poem indicating that he had hidden a treasure, a physical treasure of extreme value 
somewhere between New Mexico and the Canadian border. Now this, this fact alone is enough to grip our imaginations. But I gotta tell you, the story of the 10-year treasure hunt that took place after that is the stuff of a Hollywood movie. You see, after the word got out, uh, Mr. Finn estimated that more than 350,000 hunters had taken up the quest for this hidden treasure. And while he had simply meant to draw people away from their living rooms into a, an encounter with the outdoors, uh, I believe that the enthusiasm and the lengths to which people were willing to go to find this treasure far surpassed any of his expectations. Some explorers actually quit their jobs and tapped into their savings in pursuit of the chest of treasure. Another explorer spent thousands of dollars on the search and actually filed a lawsuit against a fellow hunter who they claimed had hacked their personal email account to mine critical data regarding the treasure's whereabouts. And the man who, who found the treasure initially remained anonymous because he was afraid of threats against his life or even being kidnapped. And he actually moved into a building with higher security and professional guards. Now, while we may grip our chairs in suspense as we listen to this kind of story, I imagine there are some of us here who are also kind of sitting back and at the same time just kind of shaking our heads like, I don't know, man. I'm not quite sure. While it might be intriguing and kind of fun to go searching for, for lost treasure, I'm not really sure that it's worth giving up a full-time job. I'm not really sure that it's worth spending thousands of dollars and even tapping into my savings, which I have scrounged for years to acquire, to go looking for this treasure. And that's actually a very good thing to be doing. That's a very good question to be asking because the truth is we have to ask these kinds of questions every single day in our lives. We have to ask questions about worth. We have to ask questions about sacrifice. Now, most of us, most of us are not trying to contemplate, well, is it worth the sacrifice of going on a treasure hunt and giving up my job? That's not the kind of thing most of us are thinking about. But there are other things we do have to think about. For example, what kind of job am I gonna pursue? Am I gonna take that new offer? What are the sacrifices that are gonna be involved in that job? And is it worth those sacrifices? Or perhaps another one, uh, what kind of, how am I gonna spend my free time after school? Am I gonna join this club? Am I gonna join that club? And am I gonna go out for this team? And I'm gonna spend time with this group of friends? How am I gonna spend my time? And is it the worth the sacrifices that I'll have to make to invest in these different pursuits? And friends, this kind of question, this question of discernment, this question of asking about sacrifice and worthiness of different endeavors, this is the kind of question Jesus is inviting us into this morning. And in fact, I would actually argue that Jesus is inviting us into the most important process of discernment that any of us will ever enter into. He is asking us to look into the discern, to discern and ask the question, of what his kingdom is worth and what sacrifices that will entail. And he does this uh, by telling these two parables. Look with me in verse 44. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like, let's pause right there. With these two simple words, is like, 
King Jesus indicates that he is drawing us in to see. He is drawing us in to discern something about his kingdom. Now, some of us may say, hey, can we take a, a time out for a second? Uh, what does Jesus mean when he says kingdom of heaven? Like, what's he talking about? Well, he's talking about God's royal authority. Jesus is talking about the reign of God as king. So let's go on to read and discover what he wants us to see about God's reign, about his kingdom. Look again in verse 44. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Jesus is telling us that the kingdom of heaven, his kingdom, is like a treasure. It's something precious. It's something that has great value. But what is this treasure like? Just exactly how precious, how valuable is this treasure? What is the kingdom of heaven actually worth? Look again in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells most of what he has. No, that's not what he says. He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Christ's kingdom is like a treasure that is so valuable that this man is willing to sell everything that he has in order to buy this treasure. Jesus has drawn us into this process of, of discerning, of seeing what he and his kingdom are worth, and he wants us to see that his kingdom is priceless. Now, I do want us to, to pause and address a question that I imagine is on a few of our minds. Um, some of us are probably questioning this man's honesty. I mean, look, he, he covers the treasure up, and then he goes and buys the field. And at first glance, this, this, may be, this may appear to be a little unethical, maybe even dishonest. You know, some of us may be thinking, is this like a business transaction that was not fully above board? What was going on here? Well, a quick exploration of the ancient world and its laws will help us. You see, in modern times, uh, we have the luxury of, of safety deposit box, of online banking. banking. Um, we have all kinds of ways of securing the things that are valuable to us. But in the ancient world, you didn't have that kind of, of physical security. So what you would do is if, if trouble came to the land, if, if a foreign army invaded, or a famine came upon, upon your property and you needed to move somewhere else for a time, you would take your treasure, you'd go and you'd, you'd find a, a place where no one else would find it, you'd bury it there, and you would, that was how you would secure your valuables and hope that one day you could return to your property and recover that treasure. Now, there was actually a law in place that, hey, if for some reason the person never returned, whoever found that treasure got to keep that treasure. I mean, it was quite literally finders keepers was how this operated. So then you might ask, well, why, why would he bury the treasure then? Why, why rebury it, bury it? Well, as we all know in our own society, legal matters can get pretty complex and sticky sometimes. And so to put this matter beyond any dispute, beyond any shadow of a doubt that this truly did belong to the person who had already discovered it, who already owned it, it was actually a prudent thing to, to bury it and then go and buy that field. Now, I think that's some, an argument that has a lot of merit. And at the same time, I don't want us to get distracted from the main point that Jesus was trying to point us to. And that main point is that the kingdom of heaven is a treasure so valuable 
that it is worth everything that we have. And Jesus reinforces this truth by telling a second very similar parable. Look with me in verse 45. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Here again in the second parable, Jesus is telling us what his kingdom is like. And here again, we see Jesus saying that his kingdom is like a pearl that is so valuable that it was worth the merchant selling everything else in order to get it. The kingdom of heaven is a treasure so valuable it is worth everything that we have. And friends, we desperately need to hear this truth. We as Christians need to discern and see and believe that like this hidden treasure, like this pearl of great value, Christ's kingdom is worth everything that we have because life in Christ's kingdom has always included sacrifice. Life in Christ's kingdom is not easy. And as Jesus' ministry unfolds in the chapters leading up to this parable, we begin to get a glimpse of these sacrifices. In Matthew chapter nine, people had actually laughed and, and ridiculed Jesus. Later in Matthew 10, Jesus told his disciples that they would suffer persecution and that people would hate the disciples because they followed Jesus. In Matthew chapter 12, the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders of the day were plotting against Jesus because they wanted to destroy him. And shortly after this morning's passage, a few chapters later in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says that to follow him, to follow Jesus, we must deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. And y'all, nothing about these sacrifices has changed today. We still must lay down our lives and take up our cross to follow Jesus and for some of us, people may laugh at us the way that they laughed at Jesus because the kingdom of heaven and its values may seem lame. It may seem prudish. I imagine some of you as you're walking the hallways of your school and you're seeking to follow Jesus and people are presenting different options of how you can live and you're saying, no, I'm not gonna pursue those options. Some of them might just be saying, oh, come on. Like, really? Like, really? You're not gonna pursue this fun or you're not gonna pursue this opportunity because you're following Jesus. I mean, come on, get rid of it. Or some of you may have an experience like me where if you like authors like J.R.R. Tolkien or C.S. Lewis and you're into the, the, the genre, the literary genre of fantasy and you're like, oh, I'm gonna go to the bookstore and I'm gonna find another book on fantasy and you're scrolling through and you're like, okay, we got these authors, we got these authors and oh, the Bible. The Bible I have actually literally found in the fantasy section of a bookstore. And people may laugh at us for following what they believe to be a fairy tale. And I imagine that many of you already understand the pain of being laughed at. And, and you may even think, you know what, I'm gonna get laughed at regardless of what I believe. Is Jesus and his kingdom really worth adding one more reason for people to pile on the ridicule? For others, the sacrifice may look like persevering and living out kingdom values, such as loving 
and being patient with people who seem exhausting and or intolerable. I mean, I'm talking about that person, and and probably some of you have a person in your mind where they have whittled your patience down to a single straining thread, and when you are clinging with your fingernails to try and love this person in the midst of their aggravation, it's easy for us to ask the question, is Jesus really worth the frustration? Is he worth the aggravation of leaning into this relationship that is just, it's just making me bonkers? The sacrifices can actually get even more intense than that. And thankfully, in the day and age in which we live here in the United States, uh, we don't face questions of whether or not uh, people were trying to physically destroy us the way Jesus and his followers were. But we might in the future. Perhaps a dear friend or family member, or maybe even we ourselves, will be called to serve the Lord in a place where where they face not only emotional and social ostracism, but perhaps also physical persecution, where people may wish to destroy us because of the gospel. These are only a few of the examples that that we could list of the sacrifices associated with following Jesus and living in his kingdom, But, but all of these kinds of things can cause us to doubt that Christ and his kingdom are worth the sacrifice. And I imagine that that many of you have made sacrifices and are making sacrifices already for the kingdom as you seek to follow Jesus. I mean, I gotta tell you, it was a huge blessing just even hearing this ministry moment this morning of how time and energy is being given to help kids who have never heard the gospel go to a far off state to hear the good news about Jesus. Or how, how people who are in a very vulnerable place in life and who are going through hard things, trying to raise a child all by themselves, and how this church is leaning in to love and to care, and I, I can only imagine how messy and hard that can be sometimes. And I imagine that many of you in the midst of that sacrifice sometimes struggle with doubts about whether or not it's all worth it. And so I want to encourage you, not just me, Jesus wants to encourage you that no matter what sacrifice or suffering for the kingdom that you may be enduring now or that you may be called to endure in the future, your heart can rest. Your heart can rest in the answer that when these questions come into your mind about whether it's worth it, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Your heart can rest in knowing that these things are not in vain, but that every tear you may shed or every drop of sweat or blood that may be poured into following Jesus is not in vain. Because here's the thing. When when life gets really hard, uh, our perceptions tend to to decrease. Our ability to, to sort out reality gets really tricky and really hard to do. I mean, just thinking about the the props up here on this stage, the Israelites have been called out into the desert to follow God, and yet they're looking back at all of the cool stuff that they had in Egypt, and they're beginning to wonder, is following this God in this wilderness actually worth it, or were we better off back in Egypt as slaves? But here's the good news about Jesus, is Jesus is the one who sees things for how they truly are. Jesus never gets confused 
or disoriented by his circumstances. You see, Jesus is the one who through Jesus, all things were made and they were made for him. And Jesus, it tells us in the, in the, in the letter uh, of Colossians in chapter two, we learned that Jesus possesses all knowledge and wisdom. We can trust, we can believe what Jesus tells us. And so when our wise, all-knowing, sacrificial savior tells us that his kingdom truly is worth the sacrifice, we can be at peace with confidence that these words are true. And with this peace, we can also know the great joy of the kingdom. Look with me in verse 44. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Did you notice what it tells us about this man as he discovers this treasure? He was filled with joy. Yes, there was great sacrifice for the treasure, but there was also a heart filled with joy in finding it. This, uh, this reminds me of one of my all-time uh, favorite stories in sports history. And maybe my, one of my all-time favorite stories just ever. Um, uh, over the past couple of years down in Roanoke, uh, they've been hosting uh, what they call the, Iron, the half Ironman. Some of you all may be familiar with this race. Maybe some of you have made the journey down to watch people compete, or, or maybe you've competed in it yourself, right on, if you've done that, that's not me. Uh, but it is a grueling race. And if you know anything about the half Ironman or the Ironman competition, you need to know the story of Dick Hoyt and his son, Rick. You see, back in 1977, Mr. Hoyt was approached by his son, Rick, and he said, Dad, will you run a five-mile race with me? Now, what made this request pretty unique was that Rick was confined to a wheelchair. He suffered from cerebral palsy. And so his, his dad, knowing that this was important to his son, they, they, he didn't run races. Mr. Hoyt was not an athletic man. But he said, Rick, we'll do it together. Let's do it. So they got out, they started training, and they ran that race together. And at the end of it, Rick told his dad, Dad, when we're out there racing, it feels like I'm not handicapped. And Rick and his dad, they went on to compete in thousands of more races, including 32 Boston marathons and six Ironman triathlons. Now there's a video of them crossing the line at what I believe is, is the end of one of the Ironman races. And, it's, it's, it's and in that moment, Rick was sitting in his wheelchair, just pumping both of his arms in the air with joy. And his father, Mr. Hoyt, was standing right behind his chair. Now, I can only imagine the kind of pain he may have been feeling in that moment, having just completed this long and grueling race. I mean, just think about it. If you don't know what an Ironman is, let me tell you what, what you do. Mr. Hoyt had just swam nearly two and a half miles. He had biked 112 miles right after that, and then just for kicks, he ran a full marathon of over 26 miles, all while carrying his son Rick with him. I can only imagine the hours of sacrifice it took to train leading up to that race. And I can only imagine 
the pain that he was feeling. But do you know what he was doing in that moment? He was rejoicing over Rick. As Rick pumped his arms with joy, Mr. Hoyt raised his own arm over his head and smiled joyfully down on his son. Because running that race with his precious, priceless son was worth every pain and ache in his weary body. Yes, there was sacrifice. And yes, it was accompanied with incredible joy. And friends, that is the kind of joy that we can know as members of Christ's kingdom. Even in the midst of sacrifice, even if it costs all that we have, because just as Mr. Hoyt looked with joy upon his son, we can look with joy on the incredible blessings of belonging to Jesus and his kingdom. The joy of knowing that our Heavenly Father rejoices over us in ways that far surpass any way Mr. Hoyt could have rejoiced over his son. The joy of knowing that he looks at us and he doesn't, see, he doesn't frown with disappointment. He doesn't say, oh my goodness, I can't believe I let this person into my kingdom. No, he looks at you and all of your failures and your messiness and he says, you are the apple of my eye. I delight in you. I choose you. We can know the joy of not only having the love of our heavenly father, but knowing that that comes with having been rescued from slavery and sin and death and brought into a kingdom where we are shown what true, abundant, and blessed life really looks like. And we can know the joy of not having to live our lives in isolation. You don't need, to, you don't need me to tell you that it is a lonely world. One of my friends is an RUF pastor at Virginia Tech and he said, you know, it's easy for a freshman student to arrive on campus with thousands of students all around them and feel just utterly alone. But we have the joy of knowing that when we belong to Jesus and his kingdom, that's not how we have to live life. That we actually get to live it in the fellowship that you can physically see around you this morning. That you can look around and see God has not only called me to himself, but he has called me to live in a family where we have each other's back, where we bear one another's burdens, where we walk through life together. This is the joy we can know as we obey and follow Jesus. Yes, bearing the cross and also brimming full with joy. And with the peace and joy that it brings, we can also know the fulfillment of the kingdom. Look with me once again in verse 45. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Did you notice the difference between the characters in the first and second parable? I mean, in the first parable, the laborer, he almost seems to have discovered the treasure by accident. I mean, he's literally out there working in the field. He's like, whoop, hello, what's this? You know, he wasn't, it was a surprise to him. But look at the second character. This merchant is intentionally searching for fine pearls. And I imagine that some of us may be visiting today and maybe you would not identify yourself as a Christian, as someone who follows Jesus. But maybe you do feel like you resonate in some way with this merchant and his search for pearls. Because maybe this morning, like this merchant, you are also searching for something. 
Maybe you are seeking a religion or a philosophical framework where you can find truth, where you can find answers to the deep and meaningful and profound questions of life. Or maybe you are looking for a pathway, uh, uh, some way of living, some philosophy that leads to flourishing among people and all that you see around you. Well, my friend, let me, let me tell you that Jesus and his kingdom are the fulfillment of your search. You see, in John chapter 14, Jesus tells us he is the truth. In John chapter 10, Jesus tells us that he came to give us life, but not just any old life. Jesus says that he came to give us life that is abundant. Friend, Jesus is the fulfillment of your search. He is the truth. He holds the answers. He is the pathway that you are seeking and he invites you to be a part of it. Well, this leads us to the final question of the day. How do we get in? Now, I I imagine we've seen the worth, we've seen the joy, we've seen the fulfillment of the kingdom. Who would not want to be a part of it? How do we get in? Now, some of us may be thinking, well, Andrew, the answer is is obvious. You've been repeating over and over uh, that the kingdom is worth all that we have. And these men gave up everything for these treasures, so certainly we, too, need to give up everything in order to get in on this cool deal. And so I want us to pause right here because we could see all the worth and joy and fulfillment that we have observed and still miss the gospel still miss the gospel, the good news about Jesus. Now, this point is crucial. So, so kids, are you with me? Are you, are you paying attention? Let me, let me see your heads nod. Don't throw your hands in the air, just, just nod. Uh, because I want you paying attention because this is very important. When Jesus talks about these men selling everything to buy the treasure and the pearl, he is telling us these stories to show us the worth of the kingdom not the way into the kingdom. Let me tell you, let me say that one more time. Jesus tells us these parables, he uses these powerful teaching tools to show us the worth of the kingdom, not the way into the kingdom. You see, there is nothing you or I could ever do to buy or earn your way in. Rather, the good news of the gospel, that's what we Christians say, the gospel, we mean the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus is that Jesus gives us membership in his kingdom as a gift. Jesus paid the price of entering the kingdom. Jesus went in search of sinners like me and he paid the price so that I could be a part of it. And he paid the price so that you could be a part of it by living a perfect life in a harsh, unforgiving world and then laying down his life to pay the price for our sins so that we could belong to him, so that we could be a part of his kingdom. If you only remember one thing this morning, here's what, I, here's what it is. Jesus is the way into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is the way into that life of true blessing of true fulfillment, of true joy. Jesus is the way, and when we believe in him as our savior and rest in him for forgiveness of sins, that's how we get in.
we believe. So if you're visiting today and you don't know Jesus, but you would like to be a part of this, all you have to do is believe. But here's a little bit more of the good news. And, and for now, right now, I'm, I'm gonna speak to the Christians in the room. So if you're not a Christian, just, I invite you to just kind of listen in as, as, I, as I address my brothers and sisters here. And this is, a, this is the last page, by the way, just in case you're wondering. Um, Jesus is not only the way into the kingdom, Jesus is also the way that we stay in the kingdom. And that's really important because maybe you are sitting here this morning as a follower of Jesus and you feel kind of like this weight of fear, maybe even despair pressing down on you as you hear these things. You might think, well, how could you possibly be feeling fear or despair as you hear about this joyful kingdom? Well, here's why I think it might be happening in some of our hearts right now. Because maybe you realize that you have not been willing to give up whatever it takes to follow Jesus. Maybe you have not treated Jesus and his kingdom the way that it's truly worth. Instead, maybe you have compromised kingdom values for the sake of comfort or for reputation. And you feel that that you don't deserve to remain in in Jesus' kingdom anymore. Well, my friend, if that is you, I want you to pay attention and hear this good news. When you belong to Jesus, there is nothing you can do to get yourself thrown out of his kingdom. You did not earn your way to enter into the kingdom of Jesus and you do not earn your right to remain in his kingdom either. Jesus is the one who keeps us in. He tells us that when he saves us and we are brought into his kingdom, that he holds us in his loving hand and that there is nothing, nothing, nothing that can snatch you out of that hand. Jesus has brought you into the kingdom and he will keep you in the kingdom. And he is the way that we are actually able to live lives like the laborer and the merchant, where no matter what the Lord may call us to, we are actually willing to give up anything and everything for the sake of Jesus. Maybe you're thinking, man, there are some sacrifices I don't think I could ever make let alone sacrificing everything if it were asked. And again, I have good news for you. The first thing is your instincts are correct. You don't have what it takes to live that kind of an abandoned life for Jesus, and neither do I. But the good news about Jesus is that the same Jesus who provides our way into the kingdom is the one who transforms us and gives us power for living so that we can actually begin to be shaped into people who this is the kind of person we are. This is how our heart beats more and more. We become a person of the kind of character that says nothing else is worth more to me than Jesus. And it is not our own efforts. It's not our own training. It's not reading the Bible over and over and over again, although that's important. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus gives us as a gift that transforms us into this kind of person. He will give us the strength and the grace we need to make any sacrifice we may be called to. So my dear fellow Christians, just listen and hear that Jesus has bought you at a great price to bring you into his kingdom. He will keep you in that kingdom and he will give you all that you need to live a life for his kingdom. He'll give you the willingness to pay the price and follow him because he has paid the price to turn you into that kind of person.
Let's pray and thank him for this. Lord, thank you that um, you're honest. Thank you that you don't sugarcoat how life is, but that you, you look life straight in the eye and you name the harsh realities that we all face. Lord, that you are not this pie in the sky, I look for the silver lining God, but you are a God who says, no, I know how hard it is. And I'm gonna come and meet you in that hardness. And I'm gonna give you everything that you need in the midst of it. Lord, thank you that that is the kind of God you are. That is the kind of father you are. And so Lord, I just ask that you would help these truths to not be something that has just shaped our minds, but that it would shape our entire being. Lord, give us a sense and a belief that you truly are worth it. And we ask that you would give us all that we need to follow you, knowing that when we fail, you are there to forgive us. And when it seems impossible, you are there to take us by the hand and lead us through the storms as we seek to follow you. And Lord, I pray that as people see us following you, that they too would be convinced that there is nothing more valuable than you and that they too would be drawn into your kingdom by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.